Good evening, everyone. I am Jeremy Birmingham. That is Andrew Ellis. This is Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast on the podcast. Uh, it is Thursday night. We are, again, trying to make sure we're in a habit of being here on your feed every Thursday evening. Last week, we took the week off because it was an off week for Ohio State. It was my birthday week. And quite simply, we didn't want to talk about the same things we talked about the week before, which is unfortunately what happens when there's only a small handful of guys to really discuss. But, Andrew, the week off gave the Ohio State coaching staff an opportunity to get on the road and do some things to look at some players around the country. We've seen a couple new offers go out this week uh, already in the class of 2024, which is pretty important for Ohio State. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of players. I'm sorry, I'm want to bring something up here to have ready for when we talk about it. Um, the, the class of 2024 um, is, you know, pretty much done for Ohio State, and we've talked about that for months now, but there is a handful of guys, are a handful of guys, sorry, that are um, being looked at and are going to be part of this conversation, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Um, and we'll start really... Um, with taking a step back, though, and going back to last Saturday when Mark Nave, Toledo Central Catholic, three-star offensive lineman, uh, decommitted from Ohio State. And when that happens, I think there's a natural impulse from people to say, what the hell just happened? How did Ohio State screw this one up? Um, you know, I had caught wind on Friday afternoon that Ohio State was um, looking to move in a different direction, and they had let Nave uh, and his coaches at Central Catholic know that that was something that would be in his best interest as well. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a difficult conversation to have for both sides. Uh, the Buckeyes invested, you know, months into into that relationship and, and hoping to see Mark uh, develop into the player that they thought, uh, you know, they were that they saw that he could when they offered him back in March. Um, the summer did not really provide that growth that they were looking for. The early part of his senior film. Uh, with the Fighting Irish of Central Catholic had not really shown what they were looking for. Some of that discussion is about whether or not he's comfortable playing tackle because he, that's what he's playing in high school, but he's going to be a guard in college. Was he put in the wrong spot? I don't know those things. I mean, those are all parts of, of the discussion. But for me, I keep going back to what I saw early in the season when Toledo Central Catholic played Toledo Whitmer, um, and Central Catholic blew their doors off. And it just I was watching Nave the whole night, and I just didn't see – a kid that looked like an Ohio State caliber offensive lineman at that point. And when you are committed to Ohio State as a high school senior, you need to be a dominant player. and You need to be out there um, as, as the clear-cut best player on the field, and that was just not the case. And then you couple that with what seemed to be a lack of just passion, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of energy, um, a lack of, of motivation on the field. And I, I, at that point, I had some red flags go up. Uh, in my own personal way, I'm evaluating because you see the kid six foot four, three fifteen. He moves well. He's got a good frame. He lost a lot of weight in the last year to get that offer from the Buckeyes, and then it just seemed like he didn't go the extra mile from that point forward. And it comes down to a point where you have an obligation as a recruiting coordinator, as a position coach, as a head coach, to tell a young person, "Hey, maybe this isn't going to be the right fit for you because you're going to want to play college football." And if you come to Ohio State, which you're you're allowed to, but you know you can stay in this class. But we're talking four or five years from now if you ever get to that point. Um, and so then it puts Mark Nave and his family in a position to say, hey, well maybe there's a better fit for us somewhere else. Um, 
And it's weird, though, because it's an in-state offensive lineman in a class that you know the Buckeyes need probably five offensive linemen at least. And now they're down to three. And there's really only Jordan Seaton left on the board. And so people are going to look at it and go, "What? why do this? Why not? Why would you not go chase William Satterwhite or someone like that um, earlier in the process if you weren't entirely sold on Nave's development? And I think that's a fair question. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's got to be a hard conversation to have for Justin Fry and obviously Nave and his team. Anytime something like this comes up, um, I, I did see some backlash from the Ohio State fans about like why this is happening. And I do find that kind of funny because right now there are there's definitely some guys on the roster who are in years three, four, and five who aren't contributing. And as we look at things now, the current makeup of the offensive line, there's some guys on there that some people are probably saying, you know, did they really need to push for this kid or that kid? And just kind of seeing where they're at now. But if you're if you're Mark Nave, like you said, if you if it's going to be four or five years before you're ready to contribute at a place like Ohio State, maybe going to a, a lower level place where you can contribute in year one or year two is is the right move for you. Um, I, I think there was a while we talked about this possibly being a five or six man offensive line class, like you said. So I am kind of interested to see where things go now besides Jordan Seaton. Are they going to just start, you know, scoping things out in the portal, which I know Mark Pantone is always doing, but I, you know, I'm not terribly surprised by this, but I'm kind of interested to see what the repercussions are and kind of how they move forward with everything. Yeah. I mean, I, when I, heard the news one of the things that i was told was that essentially ohio state's looking at the 2024 roster and they see an opportunity and the expectation right now that josh fryer josh simmons donovan jackson uh and carson hinsman all return next year right so that's four starters on the offensive line that are coming back three of them are guys that could leave after this year three of them are guys that five months ago when you start to project out the class the 2023 season you say hey if if josh simmons and josh fryer um, and Donovan Jackson have a big year. If they start out at the gate fast, all of a sudden these are NFL conversations. Those three have not had that sort of start to the season, and now the conversation starts to circle back to, well, at this juncture, it looks like all three of those guys should return next year, and if that's the case, you don't have the extra wiggle room on the roster to take a developmental guy. So it means that the class of 2025 will have to be bigger on the offensive line, or you're in a position like the Buckeyes were this past offseason where it's May or April and you're looking in the transfer portal for depth. And if you're doing that, I think there's still an argument to be made that if you can go out and get a Vic Cutler or a Josh Simmons like the Ohio State did in the spring, that's still a better fit for the roster next year and maybe for two years than Mark Nave would be at that point. And so I think your point is actually really spot on. That There are a lot of people who look at the Ohio State roster and wonder, why a handful of the offensive linemen that are not playing are there. And then those same people are upset that Ohio State has decided maybe they shouldn't make that leap with Mark Nave. And I think that's a matter of you can't really have it both ways, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just, there's so many different angles to this. You know, it could be a matter of them also being very happy with where things are with uh, the Josh Padilla and those 2023 guys that they brought in. And you may have written about that, or maybe we talked about it in private, but, you know, maybe it's also a testament to those recent guys they brought in as well here. I'm sure there's, you know, multiple sides to this story. Yeah, they are absolutely thrilled with the development of Austin Saravel, Josh Padilla, Luke Montgomery. They like what they still have with George Fitz, with uh, George Fitzpatrick. There's a lot of depth on the roster on the offensive line that is still waiting to be developed. And I think the Buckeyes have decided that it makes more sense to go out and get a top-line guy and put the focus there. And if you end up with a four-man recruiting class in the class of 2024, and it's Deontay Armstrong, Devontae Armstrong, Ian Moore, and 
uh, Jordan Seaton. That's a really solid group, and it has both immediate potential with Jordan Seaton and Ian Moore and a year or two down the road with the Armstrong Twins, who have been an absolute pleasant surprise for Ohio State. And so now you have the opportunity to readjust. I think that the bucket, what's interesting, Ohio State has, what, 22 commitments. And, you know, we've been talking 26, 27 for a while in this class, and I think they could still potentially get there. Uh, but it's now October, and there aren't a lot of new names that have popped up. And so that's where things get interesting because, as I said, the Buckeyes did offer two different players um, this week. And one of them is a safety who had an offer from Iowa and Old Dominion and picked up a, a Miami offer on Wednesday, Leroy Roker from Florida. Um, he's going to blow up. And so just prepare for that really talented two, you know, multi-sport athlete down there in Florida. He's a kid that Ohio state visited a week ago. Perry Eliana went down there and saw him, uh, in person, got an opportunity to meet him and then wasted no time offering. So that's a pretty good indicator of what they think. Now, obviously you're going to look at it from a, a, a perspective of the ranking, which he's not even ranked. I don't think anywhere. I don't think any, I don't think anybody has him ranked currently. So, um, that is obviously going to be up for debate, but I look at it from this perspective. If you had to choose in the last five years between Ohio State's defensive back um, evaluation and development or Iowa's, who would you pick? Um, that's a tough one. I would honestly probably lean toward the Hawkeyes. Right. That's how I feel. Uh, and if you look at his offer list and think that I was the team that was really zeroed in on him early, that is an indicator to me that there's something really special there from, from Leroy Roker. And again, Miami offered on Wednesday, he's going to pick up a lot more, I'm sure by, by the time the weekend comes around, but he will be at Ohio state this weekend, making an official visit, wasting no time there. Ohio state clearly needs another safety. Jalen McLean, the only player in the class committed at that position. He'll be in town this weekend as well. So it's a good opportunity for Jalen to get to meet uh, Leroy Roker and see how they fit all together. Um, and that's definitely one to watch as we move forward. Yeah, and I mean, I think they know what they want. They want that high free safety type of body adjuster, whatever you know term you want to use. So I think we did spend time talking about Reggie Powers recently, especially the other week when he decommitted from Michigan State. And that's really not, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't seem like that type of safety. I feel yeah. like, I feel like, uh, to Ryan Nichols and, and this kid, you know, are kind of more in that that mold. So those seem to be the ones to really watch, at least from what I can tell at the position. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'm going to be seeing um, Reggie Powers on Friday night. He'll be playing against uh, Aaron Scott in Springfield. So looking forward to seeing him on the field. One thing I know that they have tried to do at Centerville this year to showcase what Reggie's capable of is moving him around and playing him at all three safety spots and you know playing him in the in the linebacker role, dropping him back to free safety, showing his versatility. But no matter how much you do that at high school, it still has to translate to the next level. It still has to translate to Ohio State. And I don't think that body type-wise he has what they're looking for. It's not because he's not a good player, because he is, but it's just they already have Jaden Bonsu uh, and these other guys in that spot that are pretty much the same player. Um so that's why a guy like Leroy Roker is interesting and potentially, uh, not potentially, but definitely worth watching because, again, it went from a visit a week ago from Perry Eliano to an official visit for Leroy Roker within a week. He's not committed anywhere. He's going to blow up. So Ohio State has at least the, the card that they can play to say, well, we, we were there first. Uh, we, we saw you know what you were doing first, and um, 
I don't think he's the only one that they're interested in at safety either. I think there's some discussions um, with Quentin Reddish, who's a, a safety committed to Virginia Tech in the, from North Carolina. He's a player that uh, Ohio State has also stopped in to see. Uh, that That's one to know. Dante Carter, Vanderbilt commitment from the San Antonio part of Texas. He's also received a visit from Ohio State a week ago. I, I think if I was to bet on where Ohio State would be more likely to place the next offer, it would be to Quentin Reddish, the Virginia Tech commit, uh, over Dante Carter. But again, I think you could see them still take two more safeties in this class. And if it's Leroy Roker and to Ryan Nichols, then you don't need to really go anywhere else. So I think they'll weigh out where they see things with Roker this weekend. Um, still working for, on the date to get to Ryan Nichols on campus for an official visit. I I imagine he'll take one without really telling people and making a big deal about it since he is committed to Kentucky. Um, Vince Merrill will do everything he can to make sure that doesn't happen. But um, I think that the poll to, to visit Ohio State is pretty strong, especially when you think about the Penn State game coming up. Yeah, if if Nichols ends up flipping to Ohio State, I'm really looking forward to the Vince Merrill uh, Twitter barrage like we saw for uh, Demarion Witten. So that'll be that'll yeah. be pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, it'll give us something to talk about. Yeah. Um, Ohio State also got back into the offer game for another 2024 defensive lineman. The Buckeyes have three commitments on that uh, defensive line right now for Larry Johnson, Justin Scott, Edric Houston, Eric Mensa. And this week they offered Amaris or Amaris Williams, um, a six foot three, 265 pound defensive end from Clinton, North Carolina. He's committed to Florida, has been since June. Ohio State has been in the battle, in the conversation for about a month and a half, almost two months with Amaris. And um, Larry Johnson is from North Carolina. There is a, a lot of, uh, he does love the guys from that state, guys like even Jacoby Cowan, and now you have Jaden McKenzie, but go back to Taekwon Lewis. I mean, that, I think if you're looking for a comparison that I've sort of seen on film of Amaris Williams, it would be Taekwon Lewis um, in that six foot three and a half, 270 range, um, capable of playing on the edge, but also has the body style to be a three tech. It's fun to put on his tape, man. Did you put on his, his highlight film? He was playing running back in like all the film. I'm like, what the hell are we watching? Yeah, his uh, his tape's impressive. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw that offer, I was kind of not surprised. Obviously, he's a highly rated kid. But if there's one thing you can say about Larry Johnson, it's that he has a type. I mean, yeah. they've got they've got basically two of these 6'4"-ish, 270-ish pound guys already committed. Obviously, Edric Houston is one of the best players in the country. Um when I saw, when I watched that kid's tape though, when I watched Jackson's tape, I didn't really, or sorry, Williams tape. I didn't come away thinking like, this is 100% a 270 pound high school kid. Who's going to end up playing three tech. Like he looks like somebody who could probably play defensive end. So I don't know, a little surprised by the offer, but the film is amazing. Obviously the, the star rating, the caliber is amazing, but at some point you would think they're going to start looking for some of those weak side six, five, two twenty ish types as well. Um, yeah. But this is interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the the facts are this is Larry Johnson's type of defensive end, and it is what it is. But as you just alluded to, not every six foot four, two hundred sixty five pound kid is built the same. Uh, Amaris Williams is long; he's got long arms. He he, he is a, a little bit more twitched up than um, maybe most strong side defensive ends are. Again, he's playing running back, playing fullback, doing it. He he's not just rushing the passer from the end like he's standing up as a linebacker doing a lot of things for his team. Um, I I don't pretend to have sources inside of every program around the country, 
But I do know that there is some real concern from those in Gainesville about where this goes between Ohio State and Amaris Williams. Um, and that concern will ramp up to 11 the minute he schedules a visit to Columbus. And I'm pretty sure that will happen on the October 21st weekend against Penn State. So uh, Florida will have two and a half weeks really to try to prevent that from occurring. But I think the relationship with Johnson, the way that the Buckeyes are in need of defensive ends, um, the, the proximity to home is certainly no different than Florida. Like there's, there's a lot of things here. Ohio State can play the NIL game just as well as Florida can. It's not a situation where you're losing there. Um, you know, it's not Texas or someone else that just has a, an endless supply of money from oil rigs or whatever. So like you, you've got, you've got a fair fight here. And generally speaking, Ohio State in a fair fight against Florida is not a fair fight. Yeah, this just feels like one of those ones that we haven't really talked about much, but Larry Johnson has kind of like secretly been, you know, building up for the last several weeks or whatever. And it certainly doesn't help when Florida is getting spanked by teams like Kentucky. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the Florida uh, commitment list is one that I'm sure a lot of the bigger programs around the country are taking a look at and saying, hey, maybe we can uh, instill some doubt instill some doubt here. So I expect Amaris Williams to visit Ohio State on the 21st of October, the weekend of the Penn State game. I'm not sure if that'll be an official or unofficial visit, but I would be expecting him there. And if that happens, then you, your flip watch alert goes from like four to eight pretty quickly, I think. Um, Ohio State is going to host a number of visitors this weekend uh, for the Maryland game as the Buckeyes get ready to to sort of ramp up recruiting on campus. It's not something they've done a lot in the first couple of home games because they were against Western Kentucky and Youngstown State. And so why would you? Um, this weekend, however, is going to change that a little bit. On Tuesday at the Ohio State press conference, I asked Ryan Day about that and you know if, how they are expecting things to uh, move forward from here, knowing that they don't have a lot of wiggle room left in the class of 2024 and, and now building to 2025. So we're going to watch his response to that right now and then we'll be back to talk about it when when we went to the the spring um visits you know as you know the the official visits now really take place in the spring where in the past maybe somebody didn't sprinkled in throughout the season so you don't see as many official visits during the fall there's a couple mixed in we've had a couple but um but in terms of unofficial visitors i think you're going to start to see that ramp up you know as we get into uh, the meat of the season and so now that it's starting to get into the meat of the season, we're talking Big Ten football, 5-0 and Maryland. Uh, it's a noon game, which sucks. I mean, I, I just I can't say it enough how much these noon games hurt recruiting. I've been talking to kids in Florida and out west who are trying to get to Ohio State uh, in multiple times. It's I'm planning on being at this game. And then it's like, well, it's a noon game. I can't make it. Oh, it's a noon game. I can't make it. Um, and so it really is so dependent on the kids' actual high school schedule, more so than what Ohio State is doing at this point. But there are going to be some key visitors on campus this weekend. We're expecting the normal handful of committed recruits. You never know which ones are going to show up. I've seen Edric Houston on visitors lists. I've seen uh, Mylon Graham, who it's a short trip for him, so I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it. Um, but really it's about the uncommitted players that are visiting. The first one that we already talked about a little bit is Leroy Roker. That's a big visit for Ohio State to give him and his family a chance to see what Columbus is about, to see what Ohio State football is all about. It's also kind of a good weekend for it, I think, because it's going to be like 50 degrees on Saturday for some unknown reason. All of a sudden, we're going from 90 degrees in Columbus to 50 in three days. 
Um, and that's a good reflection, I think, for a kid from Florida to say, hey, can you handle this? And, and it sounds like such a stupid thing to say because that's football, but uh, it is the weekend for that. So, Andrew, without going like player by player on the on the list, which we can talk about uh, over at OhioState.Rivals.com on our message board there uh, a little bit more in the next couple of days, who's a guy that you think uh, would, would stand out as maybe the most important conversation slash visitor of the weekend? I think Maryland cornerback Blake Woodby, who's got a decision coming up, I believe, in less than two weeks now. If I'm, if I'm, I'm right, the 14th, I'm, yeah. So it'll be next uh, next Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's making what his second trip to campus in the last few weeks, or sorry, last few months. I can't remember when his recent visit was, but I know he's been on campus before. And I'm just kind of interested to see how that situation gets handled when you know you've got. Devin Sanchez out there in 2025. You've got Dorian Brew, too, who maybe he ends up being a corner or safety, whatever. But there's just a lot of high-end talent at that position group for 2025. And now you've got this Maryland corner who's um, built a little bit differently. He's a bit of a smaller 5'10", 5'11"-ish guy, if I'm correct on that. Um, But with him having a decision coming up, he's got all the heavy hitters coming at him. I think Rivals has him top 35 in the country. I'm just kind of interested to see how this thing goes between this weekend and his uh, looming decision. So I'm watching that one closely. Yeah, what's really interesting about this with a kid like Blake would be he's from Baltimore, St. Francis High School, St. Francis Academy there, one of the powerhouse programs in the country, a kid that, uh, as you said, is rated in the top 35, according to Rivals.com. I think he's like the number four or three or four ranked player in Maryland, according to nearly every single metric in that class. He's only played, I think, two games this season. Uh, and it's sort of an important pivotal time for kids to figure out like, who are you as a junior? Um, but the camp performances and the athleticism, those are real and those show up on tape, but he's only played two games this season because of injury or, or whatever uh, has kept him off the field. And um, Ohio state has recruited St. Francis Academy fairly aggressively over the last few years, but the kids never seem to show up and, and pick Ohio state and then when the kids that we think maybe do want to pick Ohio State, like Dewan Williams, the running back in the class of 2024, for example, Ohio State passed over and said, hey, we're going to take James Peoples and, and uh, Jordan Lyle instead. And so you do wonder, like, is there a closing window here for Ohio State when it comes to how, how much? Because that, that's a proud program, really good players, really long-term coaches and people who are a part of that community. Like, it, it's just an interesting conversation. Uh, I think Ohio State is going to be in a position here at corner in the class of 2025 where you probably want to take three. Um, but, but again, you have Devin Sanchez circled. There's Mark Zachary from Indianapolis who was also uh, expected to be at Ohio State this weekend. Well, I guess we'll see if he's still planning that. I reached out to him earlier on Wednesday and haven't heard back from him yet. But uh, the, their question marks are about the kids in Ohio, right? The, the Trey McNutt who is listed as a corner in some spots as a safety in another the uh, Dorian Brew, who's now in, in Texas, as we know, as we talked about in a recent show, but is he a corner or a safety? I mean, I, so you have these question marks you have to answer. I, I think most people are of the mindset that one in the hand is worth two down the road. Um, and I think because recruiting is so wild these days that if a kid says, hey, I'm ready to I'm ready to go, you say, absolutely, bring it uh, and let's let's do it. Um, and so I think that's an it, it is part of the discussion. Uh, that will happen this weekend, I think, because there is a uh, an October 14th decision date set for would-be. Um, I would not be 
surprised if he picks Ohio State next Saturday, but I think that is contingent on how this weekend goes. Another player that I personally think uh, I would not be surprised if he ends up picking Ohio State down the road is Avery Gatch, a four-star offensive lineman from Michigan, who I think Ohio State's the leader for Avery Gatch, and I know that that's weird to say, considering how good Michigan has been on the offensive line. I, I, I really think that Justin Fry and Ryan Day have hit an absolute home run in that recruitment. This will be like his fifth visit to campus, uh, and uh, I think Ohio State's in a position where they are in the lead for Avery Gatch and Carter Lowe, and that would be a really dynamic uh, pair of offensive tackles in the class of 2025. I don't think either of them are close to making that decision. Carter Lowe was on campus uh, you know, for Ohio State's last home game against Western Kentucky. He's expected back for the Penn State game. The Buckeyes visited both of those guys last Friday on, on the off week, and so Ryan Day and Justin Fry were in person with both of them. That's a pretty good indicator of where things are going with those young men, um, and having Avery Gatch and his family back on campus is huge for Ohio State. Um, you know, there, There's going to be a lot of guys coming into town, and we'll, we'll do our best to keep them updated, but to find like the couple that are really the most important, I think, is uh, is is really interesting. A side note: Noah Sanders, who is G- Avery Gatch's teammate, um, is Barry Sanders' son, and he's going to be visiting Ohio State. So, kind of a cool, you know, side note: you could see Orlando Pace and Barry Sanders in the stadium on Saturday. That'd be pretty cool. But they're they're definitely recruiting. LeBron James might be there too. So, be interesting. Oh, that will be cool. Interesting dynamic. Are they definitely recruiting Gatch as a tackle? I guess maybe with him only being 2025, maybe all that's still up in the air. But I think so. I mean, he worked out at camp at tackle with with Justin Fry. Normally, when Ohio State sees someone down the road in a different spot in camp, they're going to try to experiment with them there. Um, but there, there are so many good offensive linemen that Ohio State are in on in the class of 2025 that uh, it's hard to like pinpoint. And say, okay, these are the two that are at the top of the list, but. I think that there is a real sense that Avery Gatch and Carter Lowe could be in the class uh, of 2025 for Ohio State if things work out from here. But you don't make, again, I think this may be his sixth visit for Gatch. You don't make six trips to Columbus as a kid who grew up a Michigan State fan and has been recruited by Michigan and Michigan State, unless you're extremely serious about the Buckeyes and what they're doing. And um, I think that's, you know, there is going to come a point, Andrew, don't you think where recruits are going to look and see Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson and Taylor Decker and all these guys in the NFL and be like, oh, actually, wait a second. Ohio State does put offensive linemen into the league. Like it, it, that, that belief, like it, at some point you can begin to dispel it, right? Yeah, at some point. It would would have been nice if they could have dispelled that with uh, Brandon Baker, but here we are. Uh, but, but no, that's an interesting tidbit on Gatch. I, I've been following the low one fairly closely. Obviously, one of the top players in the state, Ohio State-Michigan battle maybe the most important battle in 2025 or at least one of them. I have not followed that Gatch recruitment very closely at all because I just assumed he was bound for the for the mitten up north. So that's – I will be watching that yeah. one more closely now. It's definitely not over. Uh, I think in some ways uh, – I don't. maybe I'll give away a little uh, – I think probably Michigan has taken it for granted a little bit and like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but that's just how it kind of feels to me because generally speaking – Again, a kid making six visits to Ohio State from, you know, the Detroit area is unusual. Um, but really great kid, great family. So, um, total perfect fit for Ohio State, and a kid that is not as concerned about the NIL stuff as you know, kids from California or uh, the IMG Academy maybe. But that's in the class of twenty twenty five. 
Any anything else about this weekend's game against Maryland that has caught your eyeballs from a perspective of of recruiting? No, not from the recruiting perspective. I'm just interesting to watch you and, and Austin go head to head on your thoughts on Maryland's quarterback. So I'll be I'll be <laughs> watching that one pretty closely. Man, my guy, like I love Austin. Everyone knows that. I when he when he thinks someone isn't like good, he just he just goes he goes off the deep end. And like I think uh, that there is a fine line that's not even particularly that fine between like you can be good but not be great, but that doesn't mean you're the you're absolute trash, right? Like I think that Talia Tonga Viola, however you pronounce his last name, is probably like a top twenty quarterback in the country. Like I don't think that's a I don't think that's like a, a stretch to say, but he does not want to acknowledge that. So like, I whatever. Um, one other guy I do I would do want to talk about, which is interesting from just an Ohio perspective, um, is uh, Dwayne Galloway, a twenty twenty five cornerback from Marion Franklin High School in Columbus. He's just blown up in the last ten days. He's got offers now from Georgia and Michigan and Texas A and M and all these big schools around the country. He will visit this weekend. Ohio State um, is obviously now being, they're somewhat being forced to watch his development and see what happens. Uh, six foot two, 180 pounds, like physical, like it looks like what you want. He's a sprinter, really fast. Like we're talking 10 4 in the 100 type fast. Like all those things are eye opening and all those things are attention catching, but those things do not mean that he's a good football player yet. And so, He's trying to prove that while now trying to balance the uh, the pressure and the attention that comes with being a national recruit when maybe it hasn't been entirely earned yet. And so I, I'm a, a little bit on alert, I guess, for like, I don't want to say a sense of he deserves an Ohio State offer or he's guaranteed to get one or anything like that because the Buckeyes just don't allow themselves to be bullied into offering kids. Um, but it's it's an interesting visitor nonetheless because this is a kid from down the street who didn't camp at Ohio State. He, may, he camped at two different places in the summer. Um, one was Michigan and LSU. And, like, if you're in Columbus and you're heading into your junior season of high school football and you're that sort of athlete and you think you deserve an Ohio State offer, show up and camp. Like, that's it. Like you didn't have any offers from anyone heading into the summer. So it's not like you can go into the summer and say, well, I'm too good for this. Like if you want the offer, show up in camp. Like it, it has been said over and over and over and over by Ohio State, by Ohio State coaches, by uh, people who cover Ohio State. Like the one thing that this coaching staff is all about is, is when they see that a kid is a competitor, they want them to show up and, and show us, hey, you belong here. And now you've proven it by, by stepping out on the field and showing out. Now, the process for Dwayne Galloway is probably a little bit tilted because I would imagine Georgia offering him is what spurred most of the bigger offers to come after that because nothing else really changed on his film or anything else. So, Andrew, where do you stand on Ohio State being pressured into offering Ohio kids based on other schools' offers? And, and do you think they should? Um, I do not think they should just based on other schools, because like you said, there's just this like ripple effect, Alabama or Georgia, Georgia offers somebody. And then by the end of the next week, they've got, you know, 20 other power five offers. And that's just the way it goes. And Ohio State's, Ohio State's the same way, like with Leroy Roker, for example. 
Yes, exactly. Um, so I don't think they should be bullied into doing that with in-state kids or any kids for that matter, especially when you've got all these other names in the class of 2025 that we've already talked about, Devin Sanchez and all those other guys. But if Larry Johnson has a type, I very much have a type too, and I have a thing for for six two corners. So if he would show up and show out at a camp or something like that and they wanted to extend the offer, I would have absolutely no complaints about it personally. Yeah, six foot two, 180 pound corners who run a four three, like sign me up, but let me see the kid play football. And that's what it's going to come down to for him. And that brings me to the next point I want to bring up. Uh, you know, I again asking Ryan Day uh on Tuesday. I, I've been thinking about this Galloway situation. I've been thinking about the St. Francis Academy situation in Baltimore. Like, what, what would happen if Ohio State said, you know what, we're not going to, we're, we're going to pass on would be? Like, how does that affect their relationship with that school? How does, you know, the, the last 10 years of Ohio State not really recruiting the Ginn Academy and not recruiting Glenville, how did that sour the relationship? Did it change the dynamic? Did it change the power? Uh, uh, who has the power in those relationships. And so I asked Ryan Day that on Tuesday. And, you know, pretty much the question is, how does how does NIL and the transfer portal change the, the, the leverage of power in a relationship, in a recruiting relationship? And Day didn't really give an answer that I, I found, like, insightful. Unfortunately, I think that it was sort of a, um, like, it's not a, it's not a topic you can just discuss, I guess, publicly. Because you, it is sensitive when it comes to recruiting stuff, but um, I wanted to ask it anyway, and here was his answer. Yeah, um, I think that NIL certainly has had an impact. I think if anybody says it hasn't, then that's not accurate. Um, yeah, it definitely has had an impact, and um, you know there have been maybe some swings in that in that area for sure. Um, but that's not going to change what we're doing here. You know, we we feel great about the opportunity our, our players have, but also you know, what it means to be a Buckeye. And, you know, we're going to continue to talk about that and we want to always find the right fit here. And so when you hear that, Andrew, do you think that's a cop-out in some way? Do you think that it's Ohio State being stubborn while the rest of the world is changing and saying, well, fit, fit, fit? Or is it, do you, I mean, it seems like they mean it because I don't think that they've made any major adjustments to their recruiting philosophies in the last two years. Um, we're we're going to find out here in the next two months what they're willing to do to get a player that they absolutely have to get in Jordan Seaton. So, like, where do you find yourself when you hear Ryan Day's response to that? I I think that was a whole lot of coach speak. I think if you you know ran into to Ryan Day at Roosters at ten o'clock, a couple couple beers deep or something, you'd probably get a much different answer. He's not going to come out and tell the media. Hey, you know, we've lost this five-star defensive end or this five-star de- defensive uh, tackle or offensive tackle for NIL reasons or whatever. So that's kind of the typical response I would expect from someone like him. And I get why it was handled that way. Uh, but I mean, we've talked about the NIL and how it's gotten a lot better over the last over the last year. And, you know, it's paid off, I think, in some circumstances and in other situations, not so much, but I mean, they're always going to look for fit. They're always going to look for fit. And I know I love when we talk about players and you specifically come out and mention like whether you feel the recruitment is going to come down to NIL or not, because that I feel like you're saying a lot without saying a lot when you say that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to say a lot without saying a lot. Uh, I just think it's an interesting discussion that like recruiting. I mean, there was that one steadfast rule about recruiting, right? Comfort in relationships. It was the rule for the last forever until two years ago. 
And it's not anymore. That is not number one. It is, and that sucks. Like, that sucks that it's not the rule because you still are a high school kid going to a college where you're going to spend three or four years being coached by your, your position coach and your head coach. And those two men are going to change everything about your life for good or for bad, right? Like if, and I think that if you go into that relationship with your focus on dollar bills and not actual, like, is this person looking out for me? Is this person in my going, wanting what's best for me? Like, I think you're almost guaranteed to start from a disadvantage and likely end in one. Um, and that's where, like, when I look at high school trainers, um, high school coaches, high, the parents who are now third uncles, the stuff that Urban Meyer would talk about before, it's now so accepted that I just think that the dynamic has to change. And so there are very few schools, like, um, we're fortunate as Ohio State fans and people who cover the Buckeyes, like, they're one of the three or four programs in the country who can still stand up and say, we're not going to be pushed around. But if you look at it, even on the, on the micro level, Ohio state has allowed itself to be at times when you see kids show up for unofficial visits that are never going to visit. They're never going to come to Ohio state, but yet they still have to go out of their way to get, get them photo shoots and, you know, let them get their swag on and, and that sort of stuff that like now, fortunately the NCAA has said, you know, they're, they're like, they're looking to remove unofficial visit photo shoots and that sort of stuff. But all those things are just for clout. They're not for kids who are actually interested in the school or interested in the right things. And so like, do you think that at some point the schools like Ohio state, Alabama, I mean, Alabama plays a different way than Ohio state does on the NIL front and with other stuff that happens. And we've, we've, we know that, but at its at their core, I think they're still in a position where they can stand up and say, "We are not being bullied by a third uncle. We are not being bullied by a, a trainer or a, a you know a, a recruiting coach or whatever." A lot of other schools have no choice but to to allow that to happen. Right. Is it smart to take the the hard and fast the hard line and say, "We are never going down that road." I don't know if you can take like the hard line on that because I feel like there's going to be a lot of kids who do care about development and comfort and relationships and all those old adages of recruiting. But some of those kids, there's like going to be some, some overlap. You know, they also care about the NIL and they care about coming on campus and sporting the Nikes and having their pictures taken. So like, I feel like if you try to be too hard and fast about it, like you'll kind of push some of those, I don't want to say good kids, but some of those like traditional Ohio State recruits, you could you could push them out by doing that if you're too hard about it. I guess if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and the thing is, those those visits, those those photos are still there on your official visit, but the official visit again generally indicates that you're more interested in the school and that there's a more serious component to the recruitment. But does that change moving forward when people when players can take as many official visits as they want? Uh, I, you know, obviously they can't take multiple official visits to one school, but now, if you have a kid starting next uh, April who takes 25 official visits, like, does it, is there anything different other than the fact that, you know, in the current setup, schools are paying for kids to come visit and get their photos taken? And at least in the future, they're going to pay for them to come visit and get their photos taken only once. Yeah, that's a valid point. I guess, how, how do you think Ohio State feels, though? This is kind of the counterpoint. If they have a kid that's, let's say, committed and very good at his position, maybe even generationally good at his position. Sure. Um, and he's hypothetically, going hypothetically, let's say the best player in the country, hypothetically is committed to Ohio state 
and he's been to Columbus multiple times. And let's say this weekend he's visiting uh, his hometown school of Miami, for example, hypothetically, let's say that's that. Go ahead. What's your point? Yeah. And he's, and he's doing that repeatedly, whether it's his hometown school or other area schools to um, potentially get a little kickback for doing that. Maybe, maybe not. I guess, how do you think the Ohio state staff feels about it? Or do you think they don't care as long as they know with hypothetical recruit, it all comes back to that connection, that relationship, the NFL draft and numbers and all that stuff, I guess. What are your thoughts on how the staff feels about it? Um, I think that comfort and relationships matter still, but just not as much as they used to, but nestled in between comfort and relationships is trust. And it is a situation that is so once in a lifetime for these kids that it is self-defeating for Ohio state or any program to tell a kid hypothetically, that would be the best player at his position in the country. No, you're not allowed to do that because that kid in that case, certainly holds all the power. So you need to be as accommodating as possible while fostering a relationship of trust in saying, if you're going to do this, you're telling us what's happening when you're on the trip. If you're going to do this, you're telling us before the trip happens. If you're going to do this, you are still making it a point to, to contact us on Sunday and get back, like not ghosting us on the, like, so I think you have to do that. Now, Every one top 100 kid in the country has the power in recruiting relationships, no matter what. Like, and that's why we've talked about even kids inside the state of Ohio, NIL is going to matter to the top 100 kids in the country. Like that, that's, that's facts. I was looking today. Do you know Georgia has three players in the top 20 in the state of Georgia committed? Only three of the top 20 in the state. I did not know that. One of them is Dylan Rayola, who was committed, who lived in Arizona when he committed. Nye Carr, wide receiver from Georgia, who has committed to them for almost a year, decommitted and is now likely going to Miami, right? Yeah. Like this, like it's wild out there. Like it is uh, three players of the top 20 in the state of Georgia. Only three are committed to the two-time defending national champion in their backyard. And and they've and, got a decommitting in the middle of this process yeah. to go to Miami. And what the, the hell? And they have that 2025 linebacker committed who's probably flipping to Florida State, or maybe he already has. I've lost track of that one. Yeah, that's it's, it's crazy. Wild. It's wild out there. I want I want Ohio State fans to stop and think and ask yourself if three of the top 20 players in the state of Ohio were committed to Ohio State and that was it, how bad would it be? How how now this is where Georgia is fortunate that Florida is right next door. Okay, they get to recruit Florida. They have a national brand. They do a lot of like they do all the things Ohio State does that they can recruit nationally. But Georgia is one of the two or three top three without question talent producing states in the country. And three of the top 20 players in their class are committed there. And they also lost a year ago, Justice Haynes and and like a number of other players, a number of other guys who aren't going there. Like it is wild. But like they're not panicking because they know we've got this unlocked. We've got every we got everything else figured out. And I think people should understand Ohio State is that Ohio State is that dude too. Okay, like they are that dude. And there are going to be question marks and there's going to be concerns about well, is Ohio State being smart with what with their resources? Are they are they allowing themselves to be punked by kids? I mean, like is Ohio State not aggressive enough? None of those things are accurate. 
And that's what some people need to find a way to look past the result in some of these cases and look at the process because the process at Ohio State has not changed. And that is an indicator of a group that is extremely confident in what they've done. Now, we can question whether or not they are evaluating talent the right way. Like, I think that's a fair question, um, especially on the offensive line. We can get into that as we break in here to the four-minute offense because that's the question people have. I mean, we asked for questions on, on our subtext chain um, earlier in the day. I asked uh, for questions, and I've got about 60 responses, and I can't really read them all, but Andrew – a good portion of them are about the offensive line and what is going on with the offensive line. Why are the Buckeyes unable to recruit the offensive line? What is the problem with recruiting tackles? Where the hell are the tackles? Yada, yada, yada. And I wanted to read this one here. Let me find it. Sorry. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to look at me and I'm going to be continually looking to my right. And that's because I'm trying to read a screen. Okay. So, yeah, you know, uh, get over it. Um, Ian McCutcheon asks, is there a Jordan Seton fund, a Jordan Seton to Columbus fund that I can donate to? Seriously, if Ohio State can't find a way to land him, what confidence should fans have going forward that the offensive line issues can be fixed? To be clear, my question isn't about just Jordan Seton, but about Brandon Baker, Kirby Lambert, Caden Proctor, Samson Okanlola, Chase Basantis, Olace, uh, Olaf uh, Olinen, Zach Rice, Kenyatta Goodwin, Emil Wagner, Ernest Green, J.C. Lantham, Tristan Lage, Jagger Burton versus Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shibola. And that's fair. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of losses. So the question is, why is offensive line recruiting so damn hard? And I could come up with a handful of reasons why I think it is. First and foremost, there's just not that many of them every year who are elite prospects at that position. So that's the biggest problem. Number two, most of them are not in the Midwest. That's another problem. Uh, if you look at that list of guys that were just listed, Jordan Seaton plays in, in, my, in Florida, Brandon Baker in California, Gerby Lambert from Massachusetts, Caden Proctor, Iowa. That's one that Buckeyes, I mean, we could talk about. Samson Okanola. And uh, Chase Basantis in the Northeast. Olaus Olinen, um, where did he play? He was down in, he was in the Northeast as well, right? Yeah, I think so. Zach Rice, North Carolina, Kenyatta Goodwin, um, Keontae Goodwin, sorry, Kentucky, Emil Wagner, Ernest Green, California, JC Latham, played in Florida, Tristan Lee, Virginia. Some of these, now, this is where I think recruiting can get convoluted because you list all those players and they're all highly recruited players. But of that group, if we're being brutally honest, Ohio State wanted Jordan Seaton. They still want Jordan Seaton. Brandon Baker, Caden uh, Proctor, Ernest Green, J.C. Latham. Those are the elite guys in that group, according to Ohio State. Okay? So... Like, their other ones are good players, and that, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to say they're not. But if um, if Ohio State thought Emil Wagner was an elite offensive lineman, he would have been at Ohio State. Like, And so that's where the question goes back to, has there been an evaluation issue on the offensive line? And I think that's fair to say there has been, and I think that's part of the reason why Ohio State moved on from Greg Strudrara and before that had moved on from Ed Warner 
not that those guys weren't good offensive line coaches with who they had in the program, but the recruiting evaluation was either lazy or lacking um, thoroughness, right? So I don't think that's a problem with Justin Fry. Justin Fry is extremely thorough. Um, so if you take in the fact that there's not that many, because of the fact that there's not that many, it is an elite position in the NIL space, um, along with quarterback and cornerback um, and a defensive end. That's like those are the four spots that are like huge NIL-wise, right? Yeah. Um, the numbers that I've heard R.E. Brandon Baker getting at Texas are absurd. They're patently absurd. And I, Ohio State just can't and won't do that. Now, is it is it possible to... To verify that number, no, but I think it generally stems from somewhere. I, I think that there's a reason people come up with it. Um, I look at this year's class. I think Ian Moore can be a really, really good college offensive lineman, and I think Ohio State loves what they have with him. They absolutely love where the Armstrong Twins are going developmental-wise, and if they get Jordan Seaton, this is an elite offensive line class, even if it's only four guys. If you look at last year's class, Justin Fry sort of gets a pass because he had Luke Montgomery and Josh Padilla and Austin Saraveld in the state. But if all three of those guys end up being what Ohio State thinks they can be, that's a home run class. So it's not bad, but like the elite offensive tackle, like there was no way Ohio State was going to be able to recruit Caden Proctor with Greg Tudrara as the offensive line coach, period. And that's it was never going to happen. And Justin Fry got in and it was a little late and couldn't, couldn't make it make, make the change. Um, but I promise you, Justin Fry is the guy who can do that. But the Buckeyes have to prove that they're willing to go to the next step when it comes to NIL because those elite, elite offensive linemen demand it and, and they get it. They were they were barely able to sign Paris Johnson with Greg Studrara as the offensive line coach. And and all jokes aside, I feel like bigger picture wise, and this includes back when Stud was here, Ohio State's offensive line is almost always good to excellent, at least in my opinion. I mean, heading into this year, I had some I had some questions about taking an offensive tackle from San Diego State in the portal, and you know, especially one with penalties and low PFF grades and stuff like that. And I feel like Simmons has been serviceable, and if not better than I actually thought. But that doesn't really help recruiting. Um, I, I don't know the answer to this Brandon Baker thing. The the JC Latham one was personally a killer for me. That's that was devastating. Um, that was uh, that was Ohio State getting absolutely just outclassed by Nick Saban. There was some family <laughs> dynamic issues in the Latham home. He was living in Chicago and. Uh, was playing down at IMG and then moved back to Chicago. There was some certain members of that family, from what I understand, that were much more susceptible to the glitz and glamour of what Alabama was willing to do. And that was it. And again, like it all goes back to the same conversation we've had on this show for months. Like what and when is Ohio State willing to do to get to the next to level up when it comes to NIL. And some of that leveling up is going to be doing something that feels uncomfortable and gross. Yeah. And I think for like the fans, it's also important to remember that there are, I mean, how many programs are there out there that legitimately recruit at an elite level at every single position? I would say right mm -hmm. now, Alabama is still the closest to that. 
But like, what would Georgia give right now to have half or a third of the guys that Brian Hartline brings in every cycle? You know, Notre Dame and Penn State are always, you know, great when it comes to like tight ends and Notre Dame's always great with offensive line. It's like every school kind of has their specialties almost. Ohio State's specialty lately has not been offensive tackle um, or, or safety, I guess, these last few cycles. But maybe that maybe it's all cyclical in here in a year or so. We'll, we'll, we won't be having this conversation or we will be having this conversation about running back or quarterback or I don't know, something different. When there are three or four elite offensive tackles in the country every single year and there are 10 or 11 elite teams recruiting them, your odds are not very good. Uh, it doesn't matter which team you are. I mean, uh, unless you're, again, Texas has done a great job recruiting offensive line in the last couple of years, but it's not a coincidence that they have an extremely established NIL fund for offensive linemen like who get a, a guaranteed $50,000 every year that they play football at Texas. That's, that's a $200,000 win just by signing there, right? So like these are things that Ohio State needs to figure out. But the question that somebody will ask him in response to that is why doesn't Ohio State do this as well? Because Ohio State does not have a booster who's willing to set it up and do it that, that way, I guess. I mean, because Ohio State, it's not like the school's doing it. Texas isn't able to do it. Right. You know, it's not Steve Sarkeesian doing it. Someone someone has to step up yeah. and do it. And that's what we talked about three episodes yeah. ago. Yeah, I know. I should say the Ohio State collectives or whatever. I know. I know it's not easy to arrange something like that. It's it sounds great in theory, but putting it into action is a whole other ball game. So yeah, it, it's 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 a a business that is willing to spend money and take a loss to make sure that the football team wins. And so, find me a business that wants to do it and, and ask them if they want to donate. Uh, think. Let's do that math, Andrew. There's what fourteen offensive linemen on 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 a roster every year, right? Ten. Let's even say there's ten, right? That's $2 million. I mean, uh, how much? 50000 per player. That's $500,000 a year in that a business has to just give up, right? Because they're not getting it back. They're, no matter how much, no matter how many pancake house commercials kids show up for, like, you're, it's not worth it. it. You have to be willing to take a $500,000 marketing expense and just throw it to the local football team. I, I guess there's just not enough businesses in Ohio willing to do that. And I guess you got to find them. What if there was a website asking a million people, million Ohio state fans to donate a, a dollar for offensive hmm. line recruiting? I, I mean, there are websites like that and people just don't want to do it. I mean, there, there are opportunities to do that. There is the, the, the foundation. There is the 1870 society. Like you can do that. If people, and this is where it becomes very convoluted because some folks will say, oh, I, I shouldn't have to contribute. The school makes $7 million a year. The school can't pay for these guys directly. So unless you are willing to contribute to the collectives or until the NCAA changes the rules on profit sharing and TV money and all that stuff, then this is the conversation and, and it won't change. Uh, so anyway, that was the offensive line conversation. And I uh, there was literally, of these 60 responses, nine. 40 of them are about the offensive line. One's about Reggie Powers. We already kind of talked about what Ohio State's missing on that. Chris Bracken. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, offensive line and defensive line prospects in Ohio or other ones we're in good shape for. Buckers don't really recruit in Ohio uh, for those spots right now. Definitely not in the class of 2024. Um, we can talk about 2025 on what, another show. What about... 
Do you think there's any reason for panic or concern or where would you put the panic meter in terms of Perry Eliano's recruiting right now? What's my metric? Your metric is zero. There is no panic. 10, there is immense panic and people are in the streets panicking and jumping on cars. Um, five, six, maybe. I think I, I, I'm, I've been fortunate to get to know Perry Eliano quite a, 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 you know, fairly well over his time at Ohio State. It's a great man, man. Like kids love him. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes coaches get to Ohio State and their eyes get bigger than their stomach, if that makes sense. And you see, I'm at Ohio State now. I'm wearing the block O. I can recruit anybody in the country. And so you start to build and, and develop those relationships with the, those elite kids. Because as you said, Ohio State is one of the very few schools in the country who is recruiting the top five players at every position in the nation. There is not. And, and if they don't, then people get concerned. Of, oh, why are, you, why are you taking a step back? Um, I think that maybe Perry Eliano has been susceptible to getting too, like, connected to kids and not understanding the business of big time college football recruiting, because when he was recruiting at Cincinnati and the smaller schools, like you form that relationship and it's genuine and like that, that's your guy, right? That that's your guy. And he's going to ride or die for you. Um, but life is different at the top of the food chain. And that dude, that player is telling the same things to all these coaches. And you got to figure out a way to separate the, the emotion of that recruitment from what's factual in that recruitment. Uh, I think that's where he struggled. And I, I think that happens to everyone who gets into Ohio state. I mean, um, uh, I think that it will take, it's an adjustment period for everyone. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear. I think Ohio state safeties have been damn good this year. Yeah. Um, find out some more about them against Maryland. Well, for they sure. needed, but, you know, that's the part of the thing. Like uh, the whole Caleb Downs recruitment came down to, are the safeties going to get better? And they weren't a year ago. They were not better. Okay, and so now they are. So does that have does that bear fruit down the road? That's the question we're going to have to to ask or or pay attention to. If Ohio State's defense would have looked this way a year ago and stayed this way, I think the conversation with Caleb Downs in November is totally different. But they looked clueless, and uh, now here we are. Yeah, and, and like I said, the position group has been good this year. But do you honestly think any of the recruiting struggles have anything to do with him not being able to sell cornerback? sauce Gardner to a bunch of kids wanting to play safety in college? No. Uh, I mean, I, I think that kids generally see, okay, you were involved in that development of a defensive back period. Yeah. And it wasn't just sauce Gardner. It was also Kobe Bryant who won a, you know, a, um, a Thorpe award. Like you, you, you did things and you can pinpoint it. He's got great relationships in Texas. It's where he's from and, and did a lot of his early coach. Like he's doing a good job. I just think, it's maybe a, a conversion of Ohio State targets are always in that one or top two or top three or top four in the country. A position that because it, like the offensive tackle spot, is so rare that every school in the country is willing to exceedingly overpay for it, knowing that Ohio State is, is not, I don't want to say limited, but they are they're capping themselves at a certain point where they say we're not doing anything more. Like, so you have to cast a wider net that is maybe a bit more realistic. You know, uh, we, there are so many questions and guys, I'm really sorry. Um, as I read these, like there's a lot of them that are pretty much the same thing. 
Um, offensive tackle. Offensive, offensive tackle. Um, Pat Stanton asks, he wonders if they're also considering disallowing payments for recruits to visit. Um, I mean, they should, but you know, that's the funny thing. Hey, you can't take you can't take pictures on your visits now. But if you yeah. bring your own photographer that you we're paying for, maybe they can. Who knows? Um, let's see. Question about how many more recruits are added to the 2024 class by Tony Miller. Um, Tony, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it really depends on what happens here with Jordan Seaton. Um, that will that the Jordan Seaton recruitment is going to change the tenor of everything from Ohio State from here to signing day, I think. No matter what else happens with Amaris Williams or um, with Leroy Roker or to Ryan Nichols or anyone else, like it's all the, the make or break of this class, which is still the number two class in the country, is going to come down to what happens with Jordan Seaton. So, um, uh, you know, I think you'll, you could see some momentum spur off of that, but the Buckeyes are going to add at least one more offensive. Uh, Lyman, if they can with Seton, they are likely to add at least one or two more safeties. So then we're talking 25 players. I think you could see them add another two defensive linemen. So I think you could still hit 27. And, and I think they wouldn't mind adding another linebacker. So like there's still, there's still wiggle room out here for things to happen. Well, we're over an hour. I think we should cap it here. We'll try to be more concise with the answering questions from subtext users um, for next week. But you know, that's the way it goes. So we're not doing this live because we're recording a weekend kickoff on Thursday night uh, for the Maryland game. So thank you for watching this episode of Talking Stuff on the podcast. He's Andrew Ellis. I'm Jeremy Birmingham. Uh, we will see you back here next Thursday as Ohio State gets ready for Purdue. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more stuff to talk about then. So if you like the show, please leave a review, a rating on uh, Apple's uh, iTunes, the podcast, the Spotify, all that stuff. It really does go a long way to helping us stay um, relevant and recommended to other people. So uh, for Andrew, I'm Berm. Thanks for watching. See you next time.